My name is Pastor Jeff. If that's too long, hard to remember, you can just call me Pastor Jeff. That's a, that's a joke I use in the kids' ministry all the time. I always say, my name's Jeff. If that's too hard, you can just call me Jeff. Get a chuckle. Well, I, uh, I'm glad to be here this morning. Uh, I'm a pastor on staff here with Pastor Kurt and Pastor Matt. And uh, it is a blessing to be part of this team, and I'm excited to be able to preach. Uh, I do spend a lot of time over there running Crossroads Kids uh, in the other building. We're grateful for uh, all those who are committed to serving our kids and teaching our kids. And that's a big uh, challenge and opportunity. And uh, we're in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians. Before I get there, I would like to ask, anybody here like roller coasters? Okay, we got a few. Who's, who's never been on a roller coaster in this room? Anybody never been on a roller? Okay, so we've all got this experience. All right, so we, uh, I just recently discovered my new favorite roller coaster. Who's ever been to, uh, on, on Hagrid's Ride? Anybody been on Hagrid's Ride? Okay, what's unique about Hagrid's Ride, in your opinion, compared to every other roller coaster? It's a really long one. It's really fast. And you're sitting <clears throat> on a, what do you call that, a motorbike with the sidecar? And you're sitting, like, on top of a motorcycle, right? And so I got to sit on the front, uh, in, the, in the front row of this uh, roller coaster. And then, actually, the first time, I was in the sidecar. And then my wife was up there actually riding the, the motorcycle. But it's amazing. It starts off, and it's like you're accelerating out of a motorcycle. And you're like, Whoa. And it has that, you know, that technology where you just, like, launch. And then you hear all this stuff in the, uh, in, you know, in the peripheral, you know, about the adventure that you're on. And uh, so it's really exciting. And then it has all this new stuff where, like, you go, and all of a sudden the track ends, and you start going backwards. And then all of a sudden you're, like, in this cave, and there's, like, tarantulas crawling out. And then you, like, all of a sudden the track gives way, and you drop, like, it's probably, like, three feet. But it feels like you're dropping, like, eight feet. Your whole thing goes, <laughs> And then you're on this new track, and then you take off out of that cave, and then your hair's blowing, and everyone's screaming. Roller coasters are great, right? All right, so I'm excited to take you on a roller coaster today. Uh, <laughs> Paul's ministry. And uh, we're going to be looking at what it looks like to be a servant of the Lord uh, in the light of Paul and his ministry. And so our, our, our key points are, first of all, get a grip and buckle up. And who's driving this thing? And hey, we're all in this together. All right? So that's where we're going this morning. So I'd like you to open up, and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 together. So let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak through your word to our hearts. I pray that there's uh, people here, and they're bringing in concerns. Uh, they have uh, things going on, and they need to... Uh, be spoken to and ministered to. I pray for those that need to catch a vision, Lord, of, of what you have for them. And I, I pray for those that just need the encouraging word, Lord, that, that comes alongside and says, you can do it. Keep going. Keep going. And I just pray that you would speak through your spirit to us as individuals so that corporately as a church, we would be glorif glorifying you, more edified, more excited and encouraged to be in your family and to be servants for your cause. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Get a grip. 
Alright, so we're going to start off with Get a Grip, and we're going to read the first couple verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in order to kind of figure out this passage. Now, I know you guys haven't been thinking about this passage all week long like I have, and so I, it's going to take a couple takes, but some of it's really exciting, and then, um, anyway, so verse 1 says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Verse 2 says, I'm going to read it right off the slides. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And so last week we talked about the, the gospel and this piece of, of, of Paul's explanation of the gospel, of, of the message that he's bringing to the Corinthians uh, it, it's so powerful and it's so central. And uh, here we, we are at the tail the end of that little argument. And he says, as God's co-workers, as God's co-workers, we want you to make sure that you're not receiving this, receiving this in vain. He wanted them to get a grip because they needed to get a grip on Paul's ministry and Paul's message because that word to not receive it in vain you can go to the next slide uh, to not receive it in vain talks about the, the, the word vain what do you think the word vain means you know the song you're so vain I bet you think this song is about you it's not that it's like the idea of, of emptiness to, to receive it but with no effect, with no result. There's an urgency to Paul's ministry and his message that he wants them to take action on the things that they've received. They needed to get a grip on his ministry and on his message. His message was be reconciled to God. And don't receive this in vain, without effect. Or without result. So, I want to look at 2 Corinthians 5.20. This is going back to last week just a little bit. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then he goes into the very next verse, um, or in, in, in our passage, verse 2, and he quotes Isaiah 49, verse 8. Verse 49, verse 8 says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. And I want to ask the question, how does Isaiah 49, verse 8, contribute to Paul's intention? What's Paul's intention? He has an urgency that the Corinthians would not receive this message in vain, and that they would understand, that they would recognize where his ministry is coming from. How does Isaiah 49 verse 8 do this? Today is the day. Now is the time. In itself, on face value, those words. Now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of salvation. Right there, there's a sense of urgency. But bigger than that, I see Paul trying to, I, 
to further bring them back to this, this, this verse, to help them see more clearly that what a true servant of God is going to look like. In fact, he uses this word, commending himself. Am I commending myself before you? Do I need to commend myself again? And he's saying, you know what? You want, you want some credentials? Take a look at this. And he's saying, he's identifying himself with the servant. Now, how does he do this? How does Isaiah 49 do this? Isaiah 49, this piece right here, if you're reading Isaiah, suddenly you get to this piece, and it's starting to talk about the servant, the servant of God, the servant Israel, who was supposed to be a light and he was, the servant was supposed to draw back all the people, all of Jacob, all of the Gentiles, to, to God. And then a couple of verses later it says, but it's not enough that you just draw back Israel. You, you're going to be a light to the, to the nations. But, so you read about the servant, and it sounds like a great guy. Until you start reading, and what happens in Isaiah 53? Anybody remember Isaiah 53? What happens to the servant? It's a suffering servant. And Paul's bringing them back to this point of remembering what a true servant, the true servant is supposed to look like. Because Paul's bringing them a gospel about Jesus Christ and his suffering, the crucified Jesus, and he wants them to get it. Paul's also identifying himself as one who suffers. So what we have is we have several pieces of Paul trying to get them to understand my ministry. He used the word ambassador. We are ambassadors. This was in verse 20. Therefore we are Christ, or we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then we have Isaiah 49, but also 2 Corinthians 6, 1, the beginning of our passage today, he says, as God's co-workers, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. And in verse 3, in just a minute we're going to read it together, he says, as servants of God for Christ's sake. And so you have Paul, he's like, I'm an ambassador. Think of me as an ambassador. I'm one who's been sent to give you this message. I'm, I'm one that, I'm pleading with you like on Christ's behalf. He says, I'm like a co-worker. I'm a co-worker with God, giving you this, this plea. I'm pleading with you. Don't, don't get distracted by me. I'm just, I'm the messenger. But think of it as, this is Christ's message to you. And he's like, I'm a servant. I'm a servant here. Serving the one who has this message. And I want you to know that now is the time. Today is the day to receive this message. So don't receive it in vain. All right. So we have Paul. They need to get a grip on his ministry and on who he is so that they can begin to get a grip on this message. And the result of this message is reconciliation. And what a beautiful message that 
that Paul has is that God is reconciling the world with himself through Jesus Christ, doing everything that needed to be done so that man and God can have fellowship, joy, relationship, and peace. And he did it in that awesome verse that we talked about last week in in verse 21. Made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the rightness, the righteousness, the, the, the display of, of God with the account of Jesus on, on our behalf. Our, our account in God's eyes looks like Jesus because he covers us with the perfect sacrifice of his son. But we needed, they needed to get a grip on this message, this message of reconciliation and what a beautiful message it is and that is truly what the world needs is the message of reconciliation with God and we as servants like Paul get to carry that same message what's the message get a grip on the message it's a message of reconciliation everybody in here if you have now become at peace with God You have been reconciled. At one point, you were not. You were enemies. You were doing your own thing like a sheep gone astray. And he has reconciled you through Jesus Christ to bring you back. And so anybody that you are going to know in the future that comes to the Lord is going to come through a process of reconciliation with God. That is what we do. We are in the business of reconciliation. We are reconcilers. And that is what Paul has got a grip on. And he wants them to see it for themselves. And we are partners with him. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Well, you got a grip? Okay. I don't. I got to find, got to find my grip. All right, so buckle up. All right, so buckle up. We're going to read verses 3 and 4. He says, We give no opportunity for stumbling to anyone so that the ministry will not be blamed. Buckle up. You know, on the roller coaster, you want to buckle up. You know, they usually have this big, you know, this big, please keep your hands and feet inside of the car at all times. You might not want to wear loose clothing. You might want not to wear a hat. You know, get your stuff together because you don't want to lose a hand, and you, you certainly don't want to lose an eyeball. And, uh, you know, like, we're going, we're going on a ride here, and you need to keep your stuff together. Well, Paul... For Paul, it was critical that his conduct didn't detract from his ministry and his message. He needed to keep his stuff together. There was no provision allowed in his ministry for ulterior motives. Let's read this again. We give no opportunity for stumbling to anyone so that the ministry will not be blamed. Next verse. But as God's ministers, or servants, we commend ourselves in everything by great endurance. We commend ourselves in everything. In everything we do, we're making sure that what? 
that Paul looks good, that he doesn't look like a failure, that he doesn't have any pain, that what's he worried about? His big concern is, let's go back to verse 3. We give no opportunity for stumbling to anyone so that the, the ministry, that Paul's ministry and his message will not be blamed. That Paul can't be somebody's reason for not accepting this message. So he's got to keep his stuff together. He's got to hem himself in. He holds to a higher standard. Buckle up. Well, let me ask you. Have you ever served in a ministry for the wrong reasons? Have you ever served for the wrong reasons? Is your ministry aimed at helping people get closer to God and live for God? Reconciliation? Is that the aim of, of the things that you are investing in in your life, your ministry, your service to people? Is it aimed at helping people get close to God? Is it possible that your ministry is really serving you? So check your motives. Buckle up, it might be uncomfortable. This might cause some discomfort. Well, you know, the other thought I had about buckle up is you buckle up when you want to make sure that you're in it for the whole ride. You know, we've heard some terrible stories. I wanted to make light of it, but the reality is that some people actually didn't make it on the whole ride, you know, not, not on the specific one. But like, you know, like, have you ever had, like, I remember my, my daughter would be like, the seat wasn't so tight, and I was like, up out of my seat, you know, and like, that's pretty scary. You want to make sure that you get your buckle on so that you can be in it for the whole ride. And I have a favorite ride here. In, in, anybody been on the Screamer at Scandia? The Screamer. You guys know the Screamer on 80 right there in Madison? The big pole, you know? That, that's a fun ride. Who's been, on the, who's been on the Screamer? Okay. Okay. Has anybody here been on the Screamer with me? All right, good. <laughs> I know some people... I, I used to love taking people, um, on, I like going on the screamer for the first time with people. Because, well, one of the things they say, is this is, it's called the screamer, but you're not supposed to scream. Uh, I think it's really because the neighbors were complaining about it. But, but there's this reality that you're, you're, you start off going backwards, and you know, you start gaining more and more speed, and then you stop at the top, and, and that's like the, the freaky, like I like it and I hate it. And I'm up, I just start giggling, I'm like, <laughs> and like, my daughter can attest to how I get when I'm, uh, like, high, am I afraid of heights? I don't know, because it's this weird, like, uh, thrill, and I hate it. You know what I mean? I'm like, why is it taking so long? And I look down, and it's just like, way down there. And you start going the opposite direction, and it starts, you get to the top, you feel like you're going to be flung out over 80, all the way across. You're going to, like, end up in the palm branches of, like, in and out You know what I mean? It's like, <sighs> but it just, like, carries you down. You know, oh, that's a great ride. I really like the times that I've been on that ride, and Somebody didn't make it the whole way. Now, I don't mean that they actually launched out, but they screamed, and they wanted off. They screamed. Guess what they screamed? Stop the ride! Stop the ride! <laughs> that person may or may not be here today, and they might be in the front half of the audience. Okay. So, you want to be in it for the whole ride. 
All right, so buckle up. So in the next little piece of, of Scripture here, we have Paul. He's very artfully, very powerfully describing his ministry so that he can defend it against accusation um, and indifference. It's not just that he wants people to not attack it. He also wants people to not be, whatever, dismissive and indifferent about it. So, I'm thinking of the word endurance. Endurance is a determination not to quit. It's a, a determination to keep going. In fact, it reminds me of Hebrews 12. There's a couple verses here. Let us run with perseverance, with endurance, same meaning, with endurance, the race that's set before us. Or in Galatians 6, 9. So we must not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. So buckle up. Do you need to check your stuff? And are you in it for the whole ride? Okay. Our next point, who's driving this thing? All right? You know, you're, you're, you're going around twists and turns and up and down and flipping over, and you're just glad that there's a track underneath you, you know what I mean? But let's read what Paul's experienced. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 4. He says, We commend ourselves in endurance. So if you go... Um, this, this word in, endurance, Paul uses it so often. It's like one of his, one of his like, I don't know, like, it's a pillar for him to endure, to keep going. Forget what is behind, look towards what ahead, straining towards what ahead, what's ahead. And he's like, don't give up and, and keep going. We saw some of those verses. And so he feels like endurance is like the umbrella to understand all these things that are full. He's, he's enduring through all of these things that we're going to read now. So in great endurance... In troubles, hardships, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love. In truthful speech and in the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on beaten, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Man, man, what do we do with that? What is Paul doing with that? I want to ask you this question. 
I say, who's driving this thing? It's all about your perspective. It's all about your point of view. What's your point of view? Some people will read that. Like, look at Paul, he's bragging. How did you feel when you read it? Cringe? Was it cringy? Is that how you even say that? How do you say it? I don't know what you guys said. Is it, were you impressed? Wow. Were you indifferent? Well, that's Paul. Do you idolize him? Man, if I could be like Paul, if, I'm, if I could be Paul, were you inspired? It's your point of view. But, it is powerful, and I don't know, are there any there that you guys want to talk about? We could go through each one of those things. I told them in the office, there's 27 points that I want to deliver today, because we could just talk about each one of these things, you know? But he does, it is kind of interesting, you can kind of break them down. If you go to verses, uh, like the first, starting in 4, he kind of breaks, they kind of break down into like groups of 9. Like three large groups of nine. And the first group would be three groups of three. And so you have in great endurance through troubles and hardships and distresses. And the word distresses is the idea of just being kind of like boxed in. Where you get distressed because your options are being limited. People are pressing in on you. Maybe it's deadlines. I don't know how to refer to it, like to contextualize it. You're going to have to. But there's pressure being put in on you. So that's the first three. And those are kind of external, coming from other people. External realities. And the next three, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots. And we're gonna, he's going to go further detail later on in this chapter, and you can read about him in Acts. There's, you can look at the things that Paul suffered. And I was thinking about, I was reading some headlines today, and they were talking about how many thousands of Christians are imprisoned because they have a Bible in their home, or they're caught with a Bible. And I, it's just crazy. And like, if you were found with a Bible, you could be convicted and sentenced to prison camp and your whole family has to go too. Your children would now be prisoners for life. They say that there's freedom for religion in North Korea, but based on the research of this group, tens of thousands of Christians have been imprisoned because of their faith. These things are real. In hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. This is kind of a almost voluntary choices that Paul has made. Maybe it doesn't feel so voluntary because he's focused on his mission and he's committed himself in this way. Sleepless nights, hunger, hard work. All right, so that's the first nine. And then, the, you know, you, the next three, kind of the next group of nine break down the kind of like in uh, groups of four, like, four, four, and then one, and we could talk more about those if, if you guys wanted to. Verse seven, it says, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, and I really like that part, and you could think maybe, you know, of, of um, Ephesians six, where we're talking about the armor of God, and you got the shield of faith, and you got the sword of the spirit, 
You could, you could go there in your mind, or you could go to Romans, I think it's 13, and he talks about the, the, the armor of light. Uh, and the idea that it's also in, in one of the, the Timothy uh, books of the Bible where he talks about your, your conduct operating in righteousness so that if anybody brings an accusation against you, they end up look, looking foolish. You guys know what I'm talking about, that part? When your life, your behavior in the world, operating in the world, is so above reproach, upright, that they don't have anything to say. And that just reminds me of Daniel. When they wanted to find a reason to get him in trouble, and they couldn't because he kept doing everything right. His weapons were weapons of righteousness. He was doing the right thing, and it made it hard for them to attack. They had to come up with a new law that he could break because he wasn't breaking any laws. You know what I'm saying? Weapons of righteousness doing the right things over and over and again. Why? Paul wants to make sure that he endures in this area so that his conduct doesn't in any way impinge upon his ministry and his message because that's what's most important, the message of reconciliation. So I'm not going to let, I'm not going to wear loose clothing or let my hat fly off or my phone fall out of my pocket while I'm on this ride. I'm going to get my stuff together. Oh wait, no, we're on who's driving this thing, I forgot. Who's driving this thing? You know, it's all about your point of view. Who's really driving this thing? Because the last section is really a series of contrasts, paradoxes. You know, it looks like my life is sorrowful. And yet, inside, I am always rejoicing. Or it looks like I'm poor. I mean, by all means, if you look at the things that I, I have, I am in no way rich. And yet... Paul is saying, I'm making many rich. That people, in my interaction with them, they come away feeling richer than before they interacted with me. That my life and my service is somehow overflowing with something that you don't necessarily look at from the world's vantage point and saying, that is worth something. Let me have some of that. Until you look at it from an eternal standpoint, or a spiritual or an emotional standpoint, it's like, no, that's what I want. I want that. I want what he has. I want what she has. Because you know why? Because it looks like Jesus. It looks like his peace, and his love, and his joy. Being poor, and yet making many rich series of paradoxes. So it's all about your point of view. From the outside looking in, it might not look desirable, but I'm telling you that joy and making people rich and possessing everything that we really need in life, there's peace and there's joy. And that's what Paul is saying. That's why he's willing to endure in these things. So it's all about the point of view. So, I have a question for you. Was Jesus an American? Was Jesus an American? 
I've been reading a book, and it's been really challenging and encouraging, and it says this, follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. This is all about your point of view. If you're going to follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus, then we need to understand this is really about what it looks like to be a disciple of, a follower of. And if I've got in my mind that Jesus is like a really great American, then I might buy into some of these lies that we buy into. Because the Americanized Jesus would be a reflection of what the world values. The world's discipleship says, hey, be popular. It's this focus on what do people think of me? How do people see me? And you know that you're struggling with this if you're thinking, if I do this, or if I post this, or if I, what will people do? Will this improve the way I look to people? Because we want to be seen in a certain way. We want to be popular. We want to be liked. Well, worldly discipleship says, be great. Do what you can. Even in your ministry, be great. Be a great teacher. Be a great pastor. Be a great, be a great. What does great mean? So the world's discipleship values success. Well, who doesn't want to be successful, right? Well, how do you define success? If we really want to define success the right way, it would be being, responding to God the way he wants to be followed, doing his will, his way, no matter the cost, right? Isn't that successful? Well, what if that kind of success makes you look like a failure in other ways? What are other people doing on Sunday morning when you're here drawing close to the Lord and worshiping him? They're out on the lake, they're on their paddleboard, Right, or they're at the, you know, they're showing off their hot rod. Uh, I don't know, what are else people doing? You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's things that we can be doing that look successful. But we don't want to follow this Americanized Jesus. Avoid suffering and failure. Couldn't you avoid that? What if he wants you to walk into suffering and experience it? We can't keep talking about this. And, um, but I want to say this, that following Jesus, Jesus' discipleship, is reject popularity. That we have an audience of one. Reject greatness-ism. And our longing should be for the final day when he says, well done. Well done. Good and faithful what? Well done, good and faithful. You want to be great? Did the disciples struggle with greatness? Yeah. Jesus spent a lot of time. This is what greatness is. Let me show you. Reject successism and embrace suffering and failure. Why am I talking about this right now? Well, it's your point of view. Are you following Jesus... Or are you following this hodgepodge of ideas and cultural values that are being thrust upon you? 
instead of the ones that are emanating out of Christ's character and out of the word of God. So the question is, who's driving this thing? I hope it's Jesus, right? All right, well, the good news is we're in this together. And so all of those, those powerful descriptions, you know, I was reading those several times through. I was reading those because I kept trying to get closer and closer and trying to capture these words and what am I supposed to do with them? And I don't have time to talk about 27 points. And, you know, I was like, man, this is like so epic. You know, I even read them sometimes like really slow with like, I, I put a little Spotify channel of epic music. And I just started reading them slow, like with like a deep voice, like a voiceover from like a movie trailer. And I'm like, man, Paul was awesome. You know what I mean? Like, this is powerful. This is like, I just want to go. And so like, what are we supposed to do with this? It's a challenge to know, how am I supposed to apply what Paul experienced there? And what I'm experiencing here? And which one, what's God laying on my heart? And what I hope today is that you would be encouraged by, by this, this final thought. So it's from Hebrews 12. We're in this together. Therefore, since we are also, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of, the throne, of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So, get a grip, buckle up, answer the question, who's driving this thing, and just know that we're in this together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray for those that have rejected Paul, rejected his message, because we know that they have rejected you. Because he was making your appeal as your ambassador. I pray for those that need to embrace it, Lord. The message of reconciliation, Lord. I just pray, God, that you would open their eyes so that they can see in Jesus Christ what you have offered. And I pray that those that we have received, I pray that it would not be in vain. That we would allow it to redirect so that those who have chosen Christ would live not for themselves, but for Christ. Lord, I pray for us that we could be 
with Paul, we could be ambassadors, that with Paul, we could be co-workers, with Paul, we could be servants for your sake. Lord, I pray that you would help us to endure with our eyes on your son, Jesus, so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. Help us in our sin, Lord. Help us to get our stuff in order. Help us to put ourselves in check. I pray that if there's here, Lord, that are weighed down by sin and they're ensnared, I pray that we would be able to seek out a brother or sister, even in this prayer time that we have, to, to release, to admit to God that we're stuck, that we're captured, that we're ensnared, and that we want to live, and we want to run, and we don't want anything to impede your ministry and your message. So I pray that we would come clean this morning. In your name we pray these things. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.